Let me ask you a question. Uh, it's kind of a weird question to explain. But what do you do in the meantime? Sounds like a weird question. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, have you ever been in a place where you may call it the meantime? Meanwhile, you're waiting around. Maybe you're waiting for God to step in. You ever had a situation like that? You're like, Lord, I'm ready for you to show up any day now. This has been a burden on me, or this has been a challenge in my life, or this has been a, a frustration. And you're just sitting there going, I'm okay with God. I'm ready for you to jump in and do your thing. Anybody ever felt that way before? Nobody? I'm the only one. Okay, I was going to say, I thought there was a couple. Surely there's a few of you that are sitting here going, you've had some times where you're like, Lord, I want you to show up. I, I've had some time, I've had a lot of times like that myself. Um, I think about that sometimes when it comes to what I'm doing here. I feel like some days I'm going, okay, Lord, I'm doing this full-time teaching thing, pastoring thing, and, and I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, who's that old dude, you know, now? And, and I'm going, Lord, I, I'm ready for you to jump in and, and change something. Right? Maybe it's been a job situation. You ever had a job situation where you're sitting there going... I'm ready. This needs to change. Yeah? How about, this is, this is what I think is near and dear to many of you. You have someone in your life and you know that what they really need, Jesus. They got so many other things that they think that they need and you're sitting there going, what you need is Jesus. That's what you really need. And you're sitting there going, Lord, I'm, I'm ready for you to jump in and and I always think about my mom when it comes to this because I think about how my mom has for years prayed for her brother. For years, years. I mean, since as long as I can remember. Pray, Lord, Lord, Lord. And I think a lot of us know that feeling of <coughs> waiting in the meantime. And we're sitting here going, okay, well, I'm ready for you to show up. Well, let me give you a reminder of where we're at. We're in the book of Acts. Let me just give you just a reminder of what's happened so far. So Luke is writing this account. He already wrote the book of Luke. He didn't call it that, but that's, that's what we call it. Uh, he, he's written that book to Theophilus, and it came up to the end, and then he starts off Acts, and then he said, this is, then that first book I, I talked about everything that Jesus began to do and teach, and now I'm going to continue this story on. And so we know that what's happened is there, there was a man who was God in the flesh named Jesus who came to this earth, he died on a cross, it was witnessed by people. He was dead. He was buried. They were mourning for him. And then one day when they went to the tomb, it was empty. And then they saw him. And he stayed with them for, Luke tells us, 40 days. Taught them more. Other things. And then he tells them, because it's pretty profound what they've seen. He says, you guys are my witnesses. The whole world needs to know that God came in the flesh, died for their sins, and rose again. Everybody needs to know this. I can't help but think of sometimes as disciples thinking, you know, I, I would have been, if I was one, I would have been like, oh, Jesus, wait, what? 
could you have picked somebody different for this responsibility? You know, especially some of you guys, like, I'm, I'm a fisherman. Don't know if you know that. Obviously, Jesus knew that. Uh, right? And then he tells them, we just read about this. He tells them, he says, you're my witnesses. You need to go to Jerusalem, which is near where they're at. Judea, okay, got it. Samaria, and he says, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he just goes up in the air. And they're sitting there going, can you blame them? One of the things that Jesus told them just before that, he said this, and I don't, my clicker's not working, John. Clickers, click. There's a verse up there. Can you see it? Is it there yet? No? Let's pretend like you can see it. I mean, one line right now. I doubt it. There we go. Do you see it? Yes. Verses 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 1, he says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Do you hear that? But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So here they are. They are waiting. After this, Christ goes up. They go back into Jerusalem, just like he says, and they're waiting. And so I... When I read through this this week, I thought, you know, this is an important story because I know what this feels like. I know what this feels like to, to, to be ready for God to, to show up in power and to wait. So let me read through this story. I'm going to actually I'm going to read through Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read through Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. And uh, I want you to just, in, just enter into the story, okay? So, so you know the first part. I've read this to you a couple times. I just wanted you to enter into this story, okay? Try to remember that Luke, if you want to try to imagine me as an ancient Greek uh, physician um, reading this to you, okay? So he's written to Theophilus. And just imagine just listening to this account of what happened. I will warn you in advance before I read this. There are a couple things in here that might be rated M.A., okay, for violence. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you up front, there's something pretty graphic in here that I'm getting ready to read. You may be going, what, the Bible? Yes, the Bible, okay? You, you should read it sometimes. Um, okay, so Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Jesus has just gone up. The angels are standing next to them. They say, why are you looking up into heaven? You ought to go. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, which is about a mile and a half. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were with one accord, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to, or who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. And then Luke adds a side note. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, 
and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Sorry. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, uh, Akeldama, which is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Peter continues on, May his camp become desolate, and let there be none, but let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So you have Peter here right off the bat going to scripture to say, What ought we to do? They're waiting. He goes to scripture. What ought we to do? So one of the men uh, who have accompanied us, uh, who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John. Uh, until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So here you have the story of the waiting. Right? The waiting. You're sitting there. What, what are we going to do? I think that when we think about waiting, this can be confusing, because when we think about waiting, is this the picture that comes to your mind when you think about waiting? Sometimes. Sometimes? When I think about waiting, I think of this one. <laughs> that's what it feels like when I'm in the waiting room for a while like I'm dying um, I, I think this this is not an accurate picture of the type of waiting that they're doing okay it's not an accurate picture of the type of waiting first of all notice that it's not idle waiting at all okay it's not idle waiting they're not sitting around twiddling their thumbs it's not business as usual the waiting room idea, I don't think this is good. I, I think a, a better picture of the type of waiting that they're doing would, would be sort of like when my wife is throwing a Christmas party at our house that day. Now, you met her, right? <laughs> what type of wait? Is she sitting around waiting for the Christmas party to start? What do you think? No. No. What's she What's she doing? Freaking out. Freaking out? Okay, maybe. Maybe a little bit of freaking out. What else? Come on. Help me out. Working. Working, right? What kind of working is she doing? Making sure things are done and set right, I guess. Absolutely. Making sure this is right, this is right, this, uh, is this good, is the table good, is this room good, has this been vacuumed? Josiah, grab the vacuum, sweep this up real quick. Matt, could you grab, wipe that down? Okay, we've got to get, right? I mean, now, now, now think about something for a second. Is she, is she literally... Now, this is going to be a confusing question. She's literally making the Christmas party happen. In a sense, you could say no, because there's no people there. There's no party. So she's, in one hand, on one hand, she's waiting for the Christmas party to begin. But there's a certain type of waiting that is a waiting that, that knows and believes that something is going to happen. And so when you wait for those sorts of things, it's not a sitting around twiddling your thumbs kind of waiting, is it? It's a waiting that has to do with preparation. Getting ready. Making decisions. Following through with those things. Getting everything set. What are the disciples doing? He told them to wait in Jerusalem. Right? So they go back to Jerusalem. They go to their lodging. They gather together. They pray. 
says they devote themselves to prayer. They're praying continually. They, they, they deliberate among themselves. Peter leads and he makes a suggestion. We ought to, and think about just the reality, the type of suggestion. They know their mission, be eyewitnesses to what happened to the whole world. Jesus chose 12 of us. One of them betrayed. He's out of the picture. We should probably replace it. So, I mean, even though they're waiting, are they just sitting around twiddling their thumbs or are they actually making some decisions and doing things and getting ready and, and trying to... In fact, if you think about it, they're trying to begin fulfilling their mission. When they think about the one guy, they say, we need to find somebody. Did you notice that? We need to find somebody that has been with us from the beginning. Which, uh, first of all, you go, uh, I, I'm always surprised by that because I always think about the 12 being with them, with Jesus, from, but there was others. And they found at least two guys that were with them that had been there from the baptism of John all the way to when Christ ascended. So these two guys had been there through the whole process. And so they're delivering. Why would they choose these two guys? Because what was the mission? Be eyewitnesses. So we got to fulfill. So in their waiting process, they're waiting for the Spirit, but in their waiting, they're getting ready. They're, they're, in fact, they're saying, well, uh, we know what our mission is. We know what we're supposed to do. I think sometimes we forget that the, fa the fact that these guys literally, even though they knew what to do, go into all the world, preach the gospel, would they have had any idea how to accomplish that? I think very little. Had they ever seen a church before? No. Did they know what church planting was? No. Had they seen a church service ever? No. Jesus just told them, go into all the world. They know nothing, practically speaking, about how to accomplish this. All they know is this is what Jesus taught us. And he said, go tell everybody. How do we organize this? How do we make this happen? And so it makes sense what they're doing. But you can only imagine how much they were going. I mean, can you imagine if that happened to us? I mean, these are regular people like we are. Can you imagine if Jesus would have revealed himself to us and we would have known this? And then, then, you know, let's say he was up here the final Sunday. He's been resurrected. We're like, I can't believe he's been resurrected. I mean, he's standing here talking to us. And then he goes, I need you to tell the whole world about this. Where would you start? What would you do? I know many of us would be tempted to go, this is too big. I can't. I can't, I can't even... I don't, I don't know if I can, can I, I, it's, oh, I don't know what to do. How do, he should have picked somebody else for this. This is too big. There's no way. The whole world? Couldn't they have done that? What did they do instead? Well, let's get another witness. Let's get ready. Let's go. In fact, one of the things that you find very interesting is that this upper room where they're at must have been close to the temple grounds because when the Spirit does show up, the Spirit does arrive, and they begin speaking the words of God by the power of the Spirit, it says that people heard them. It didn't say they had to go somewhere. They must have been close enough to where people were that when they started talking about the Spirit of God, they started talking about all that Christ had done, it says, we'll read this next week, that, or uh, two weeks from now, that, that people heard them. And heard the truth. So there's two things that I want to say that we can learn from how they wait. There's two things. I want to give you these two things. Because I think that as we wait 
for God to show up in these different things in our life, I think that these two aspects of waiting ought to characterize how we wait for God. Okay? First one is this. It's a waiting that's a waiting in expectation. A farmer, anybody know any farmers? Met a farmer? When they're waiting for the harvest, are they sitting at home watching TV? No. Aren't they in their way? I mean, they, they're not, they can't literally make the corn happen. But man, they're getting ready for it, aren't they? Getting the grain bins ready, getting this ready, going out to the field, looking at it, ex expecting these things to happen. I think this is the type of waiting we ought to have is a waiting that is in full expectation of God showing up. Notice that in verse 14 it says this, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer uh, together with uh, the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. I, I wanted to point out here before I went any further, this one accord, Luke is the only God, or the only New Testament writer that ever uses the, it's one word in the Greek. He's the only one that ever uses this word. Okay? He uses it ten times in Acts. Okay? There's ten times where he uses this particular word that's translated with one accord in Acts. And it's a word that literally means, it could be translated of one mind, it literally means of one passion. So these people have come together and with one passion, one goal, one motive, one, one, one vision, one mission in mind, they're all together. What's their goal? The mission. We're, 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 and we're expecting God to fulfill it. They're not sitting down going, it can't be us, it's got to be somebody else. They're going, well, it's us. We don't know how to do this, but let's, let's try some stuff. Right? I mean, literally, that's what they're doing. We're praying and we're seeking God. We're, we're trying. I think the best thing that, that, for me, rings true when I think about this type of waiting is what happens every single week for myself. Okay? So here I am. I'm preaching, right, I'm preaching to you right now, right? Now, my hope is that as I'm talking to you, my hope is not that it's just Matt speaking to you, right? Don't we hope, like when you come here, you're hoping that God miraculously will speak to your heart through the power of the Spirit. Hopefully, you're hoping that. So, during the week, as I'm progressing through the week, I, you know, read my book, right? I'm studying. I'm praying. Reading some commentaries. Reading the Scripture. Finally, I start typing some stuff. And usually, I'm going to tell you right now, usually when I start typing, I'm like, this is horrible. This is the worst sermon I've ever written in my life. I don't know why I'm writing any of this. This is ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. I should stop doing this now. Why am I? You know, but uh, I got to do it, you know. So I'm, I'm there, and, and I start making some decisions about the points I'm going to use, and I'm going with this, and sometimes they start to change. And as you guys know, sometimes they change Sunday morning, right? So I'm switching stuff around, and things are coming to me, and I'm going, okay, let's try this. But, but all of this was, is with this expectation that when I get finally to the point, so I've done all this stuff, and we've sang, and we've prayed, we've done all these things, that, that I, and I walk up here, and I, and, and I stand here, and, and my, my expectation is that somehow God will miraculously, as I open this mouth, that somehow the words that tumble out, God will take and carry and infuse them into your heart, and that the end result will be exactly what God wanted. When I think about that part, 
in the week, that's when I start doing that stuff like, this is the dumbest sermon I've ever written. I can, why am I doing this? I shouldn't be doing that. that. Somebody else should be. I mean, that's why I do those things because I'm thinking over here. But see, this is where these disciples were at. They're, they're waiting. The Holy Spirit hasn't come to them yet. And so they're waiting for the power of the Spirit. And they're, they're, they're believing. They're expecting the Spirit of God to fulfill this mission. But they don't sit there and go, Well, God, I'll fulfill it as soon as you give us the Spirit. What do they do? They start doing stuff. They make this. Let's go back to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Let's. We should probably pick another way. You, you see. Do you see how this is folding? It's like a farmer. They're expecting, fully expecting, for the Spirit of God to come because God said it was going to come. And so they're following through. And so let me add the second one here. They're not only waiting in expectation. I think there's also an element of anticipation. And you may be sitting there going, "Aren't those the same thing?" They're very similar. Anticipation, I think, carries with it this idea that there's an, an excitement. If you're expecting something to happen, sometimes that can be one thing where you're just sitting back. There still can be that aspect of sitting back. But true anticipation actually begins to go through the motions of what's going to happen. You're anticipating precisely how it will be fulfilled. You go, okay, let's anticipate. Let's look ahead. And so that's why they pick another uh, apostle to replace. By the way... The last time in Scripture that lots are used to make a decision is found right here. We just read about it. Very last time that that's ever done. After this, they have the Spirit of God, don't they? To give them wise counsel, to help them make wise decisions. They knew what God wanted them to do. They just didn't know how, but they begin to make those decisions anyway. I think that you can do this as well. Let me give you a couple examples. Those of you that volunteer to teach toddlers or children's church, when you volunteer to do that, you may be thinking in your mind, why should I do that? But you prepare. You hope. Janie's back there right now. I know from talking to her today, which I think it's just God's providence that she, she brought this up today, but she, she saw me before the service, before Sunday school this morning, and, and was sharing with me what she was going to present to these boys. And, and, you know, she was exemplifying exactly what I'm talking about. She, she was sitting there going, I've got this picked out. And she's talking about my mom. She's like, she, she had this picked out, but I, I, I had this thing here, and I'm, gonna, I'm hoping you're okay with that, that I add this in here with it. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And it was really interesting. And I'm going, wow, that's really good. But her, her whole anticipation was that when those boys showed up, that she'd be able, to, be able to present to them this truth and, and hoping that even with all the preparation, in spite of all that or with all of that, that when she began to tell these kids this story, her hope is that it will impact their hearts, their minds. Let me give you another example. We talked about unsaved relatives earlier that you want to witness to. I mean, that's what you are. You're a witness to the truth that there is a Christ who died and rose again. He's the only one that's done it. And he said, if you believe in me, Right? If you call on my name, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. And, and, and so you, you know this truth, and you want to tell them about it. And so what do you do? You think about the questions. You anticipate, don't you? They might ask me this. Some of you have even come to me and said, you know, I have this relative I'm talking to. You. What do you think about this? And, and so you're doing all this preparation. You're doing all this you know, study. Maybe you're looking up things. Maybe you're trying to find some scriptures to go along with what you want to tell them. And, and you, you feel very feeble in the whole process. And you're sitting there going, I'm not adequately equipped to do these sorts of things. And you're sitting there. But, but you, 
you're, you're anticipating that the moment when it comes and the opportunity happens when this relative brings something up and you see that window and you, and you start to say things, your hope is what? That you're just going to be so profoundly wise that they go, oh my goodness, I'm going to be a Christian now because you're so smart. No, that's not what you're doing. What are you doing? You're hoping that in spite of how inadequate you are, that the power of the Spirit of God will speak to their heart. Right? That's what your hope is. And so you anticipate, so you, you begin to say, I mean, you're, you're on the same mission that these guys are on, and so we're, we're waiting for the Spirit to, to come in at just that right moment. But you don't sit around twirling your thumbs in the process. How about when you go to work? This is one that I, I know some of you have brought up. Uh, you go to work. Around these coworkers, and and, and you're, you're sitting there thinking, I know that what they need. I mentioned this earlier. I know that what they need is Jesus. They're, they're, they're talking about the drama. They're talking about all these other things that are going on in their life. And you're sitting there going, Man, I know what they need is Jesus. And you're, you're trying to find a, an opportunity, a way to to say it in just the right way because you know that that chances are, if you you're sitting there going, Man, if I just say it, they'll go, Oh yeah, I need Jesus, of course. You know, I love Jesus. You know, and you're sitting there going, I'm missing it. They're they're not quite grasping it. And, and so then you, what do you do? You you prepare and you think of different ways. And, and I even had a few of you come to me and say, I've got this coworker and I've been talking to him. They said this, what, what do you think? And so you're asking him, you know, getting, getting some advice. But then what's your hope in the end? That at least one of those times that you talk to that person, your hope is not that you will be so wise and smart that they go, I wish I was just like you. What's your hope? That somehow, in spite of you, the power of the Spirit of God will carry those words and just the right ones and it will penetrate that co-worker's heart and breathe life into their soul. And, and maybe you won't see it right away, but at some point, they believe. Because what's your hope? One day you'll be standing in heaven you'll see them there. That's your hope. It's not just about all these things that are going on in life. Your, your main hope is not just that all those little dramas will be solved. Your main hope is that ultimately they will stand in heaven for all eternity. When I was first preparing this message, I was thinking about this waiting. And think about waiting for Christ to show up as we deal with the challenges of life. And, and I kind of mentioned that at the beginning. That's kind of where I was going with that. You know, I'm kind of waiting around. Trying to wait as we make decisions, we have problems, we have dilemmas, you may have drama that ever comes up in their life, and you're like, you're, you want God to show up in those situations, and I, I thought about that, but it dawned on me as I studied, the more I looked at this, I realized that I am convinced that some of our problems that we face, some of those dilemmas, some of those challenges, some of those trials, when we feel as if we're just waiting on God to show up and save us from our problems, those aren't actually the real issue we ought to be focused on. The real problem is that many of us are not on mission. Many of us, we're, not, we're just not on mission. We pray for wisdom as we take jobs, choose careers, sell houses, cars, make those life decisions. We pray when work isn't going well, when there's drama at work, when there's health issues, life issues. I'm not saying that we... Have, shouldn't pray for those things. What I am saying is that many of these challenges are only challenges because we see them as primary. Does that make sense? At school, sometimes when I'm teaching and I 
actually get their attention, which is rarer and rarer these days. But I love it when I've captured the audience. And I look out across my classroom and I see all of them. That happens with math sometimes. I don't care what you say. It's interesting. And so I'm teaching them. And I find that I've got to the place that they're not looking. I think they're, I think they're not playing a game and they're not. I think I got them. And I, and, and, and so, no, no, I explain it. And I'll be like, okay, and then I'll, I'm getting ready to give them this assignment. They have to work out, and I'm getting ready to hand this to them. And I know, in fact, I know that there's this test later. They have to be able to uh, do this particular problem where you have to do this exact thing. And it's, it's really not that difficult. If you just remember what you're supposed to do, and I'm sitting here, and I know they have to do this. I know they have to have this to, to pass the test so that they can graduate. And I'm sitting here thinking about their futures. And, and, and I have that moment where I explain, and I explain it in such a way that I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. Pretty darn good explanation of math, right there. You know, I'm saying I'm a pretty good teacher. I don't actually ever say that in my head, but uh, you know, I, I'm sitting there thinking, man, I, I just explain it in such a way, and I, I feel like I, I love it when kids go, ah, that's my favorite sound that kids make. Ah, go right, so they learn something. It's a universal language, right? That, that everybody in the whole planet, when they learn something, they make the same noise. They go, ah, I just love hearing that. It's the sound of learning, and so I tell them, I go, ah, I love that sound. That's the sound of learning. Happening. I'm such a teacher sometimes. Uh, so so I, I, I sit there and, and just I, I get excited because I feel like I'm, I finally got them and I, I'm, I'm getting, ready to, getting ready to hand this out and, and I, I'll stop and I go, are there any questions? And I, I'm, I'm anticipating the, and, and hopefully expecting that I will hear a question like, okay, Mr. Ramos, but what if it's this, you know, is something mathematical that doesn't quite add up, and they're trying to figure out, and, and, and I think they're thinking, and, and I get excited when I see the hand go up, and I'm thinking, oh, yes, a question. And I'm so happy, I'm excited, I love the questions, you know, and they raise their hand, and I call on them, and I'm, I'm just looking forward to it so much that they're going to ask this mathematical question, and they raise their hand, and they go, can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> and I go, yes. <laughs> Or they raise their hand, they go, we have an assembly today at 3 o'clock. <laughs> what does that have to do with what I'm talking about? <laughs> what does that, that has, that, that, oh, I cry to myself. No, I don't. I, I give you that example because I think that some of us as Christians, that's, that's what it's like. Christ has you on mission. Your job your house, your car, the situations that you face ought to all be about the mission. They're all secondary issues. We've pulled them up to a primary spot. We ought to be about the mission. That's what they were about. That's what these apostles were about. We ought, they're about the mission. So the decisions that they're making are about what the scriptures say, about what we ought to do. We're going to try to fulfill this mission. What ought we to do? You may be sitting there going, I don't, but I'm not, you know, called into full-time ministry. I, I don't, I, I'm sorry, but you are all on mission. You are the witnesses on this planet to the truth that there's a resurrected Savior that wants to save everybody's souls. You are the ones that God has chosen to, to share this, this news, this gospel. 
And we ought to have primary up above. Like when we're thinking about what job we take and where we live or what we're going to do, up and above and beyond any of those other things. Because most of us, when we start going, oh, man, life is so hard when you start praying, it's usually because we're praying because we're trying to figure out how is it going to, how can I get what I want to make my life better? What we ought to be praying is, Lord, what could I do? Where ought I to live? What job ought I to take to best accomplish your mission? That's every single one of you. That should be primary. When you think about your job, it does, it, your, your paycheck is to fund your ministry. Your ministry. Your paycheck to cover your house is to, to fund this house that can be used for ministry. Because there's a mission. And you're the witnesses. And God has called you. And some of us are like those students. But God says, I brought this trial into your life and, and he's getting ready to work some big plan and you go, should I sell my car to get better gas mileage? <laughs> now I'm not opposed to those things. But that ought not to be primary. We're looking even beyond that to say, what can I do? We have a limited amount of time on this planet. We've got to be anticipating, eagerly anticipating God's Spirit. You know, the word that is used, that's translated wait, that we just read a minute ago in verse 4, when he says wait in Jerusalem, that is the only time, now I don't know how significant this is, but I thought it was kind of interesting. That is the only time that particular word is used that's translated wait. The type of waiting that they did, right, waiting for the Spirit, do you realize now that we're not doing that anymore? We're going to read in chapter 2 that the Spirit comes. See, that's the difference. We can still eagerly anticipate what, what God may be getting ready to do, but understand that unlike them, we're not waiting for the arrival of the Spirit. The Spirit has come. From this point forward, when it talks about Christians waiting, it's always about waiting for Christ's return. A couple passages, Hebrews 9.28 says this, so Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without uh, reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. See, we're eagerly now awaiting his second coming. Or Philippians 3.20, we just studied Philippians. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Waiting from this point forward is not about waiting for the Spirit, but is about waiting for Christ's return. We have the Spirit. Romans 8, 11, don't have slides for these, talks about the fact that if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Do you realize that at that moment of salvation when you say, I believe, and it's genuine, it's real, that one of the things that happens to you is the Spirit of God is given to you, granted to you, and He dwells in you. How much easier it is for us to eagerly anticipate and expect what the Spirit will do when the Spirit is already here. You see the difference? Ephesians 1.13 talks about this, this reality. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were what? Were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Notice how, I, I like how it says it that way, the promised Holy Spirit, because that's what they, that's what they were looking forward to, the promised Holy Spirit. 
And so even though we're sealed with this promise of the Spirit, listen to this verse in Ephesians, right? Because it says you, you have it, right? You're sealed with it. And yet there's still some measure of expectation because notice just a few verses later, Ephesians 1.17, it says, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. I think that what this is talking about is the fact that as a Christian, you have the Spirit has been given to you, He dwells in you, but then having the Spirit living and dwelling in, dwelling in you, you're still eagerly anticipating how the Spirit will act out in your life in wisdom, in understanding. For some of you, choosing the right words to say, having the right attitude when you're around those uh, lost friends and relatives, showing the right types of behaviors so that you can be an impact in their life as you're on mission. I think that the application here is easy. Some of you need to plan this week. Prepare. Work. Study. Read your Bible. Repent of sin. And then try to minister. Try to share. Witness. Try. Just try. I heard a guy say one time, and I wish I could say this from personal experience, but I heard one time that if you ride a unicycle, I wish I could ride a unicycle. It would be so cool. Um, that when you ride a unicycle, that the way that you ride a unicycle, you, you don't pedal to move. Because if you just start pedaling, you'll fall backwards. And so this guy, a friend of mine, he could ride a unicycle. He said, the way to ride a unicycle is you kind of have to just fall forward, and then you let your feet catch up with you, right? I, I think it's a great illustration of exactly what I'm talking about when I'm talking about trying. So you prepare, you get ready, you do all these things, and you go, and you're, you're, you're at work, and this, this friend of yours that you've been praying for, you're, you're wanting them to get saved, and, and, and the opportunity shows up, and you go, this is it. And then as you speak, you have to worst them up. Your expectation, remember, is the Spirit. It's not resting in all of your preparation and study. That's, that's good stuff. But even that is just hoping that the Spirit will use those tools in your toolbox to be able to help that person. And so some of you ought to this week just try. Share. You, you may sound unusual at first. You may, it may end up coming out like this. But Jesus loves you. <laughs> Man, you don't know. That may be precisely what they needed to hear in that exact moment. And God may be saying, that's the one sentence that they needed to hear. They've been wondering if Jesus really did love them. And God is orchestrating it, and he brought you into the life, and then you go, Jesus loves you, and then you're thinking, Man, I sound like a moron sometimes. And, and, but they, they walk away from that going, and maybe they come back to you later and go, does he really? You go, yeah. See, you don't know. Try. Start taking some steps. That's what the apostles did. Getting ready. Eagerly, expectantly, anticipating the Spirit to show up. Right when you need it. Some of you just need to get on mission and recognize all this other stuff that's going on in your life. Right? Say, Lord, I'm going to let you take care of all that. Lord, help me to be on mission. Help me to be on mission this week. And then take a leap like these fishermen did. Hoping, trusting, praying that when the time comes and the words start to tumble out of your mouth, 
that God's going to go, God, that's exactly what they need. Right? It was exactly what I was going to use. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do want to thank you for this day, and I just want to thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for these apostles that were just fishermen and, and laborers and, and the tax collector, and I just think of these guys that were willing to hear what you said and to, to, to hear this mission and say, okay, we're going to do it. We don't know how. We're going to do it. Lord, I thank you that you fulfilled the promise then that as these men were willing to begin to speak your word, that the Spirit of God came just like you promised. Lord, I'm thankful that we, as Christians today, we have your Spirit. Lord God, I pray that you help us not to neglect that reality, that we are not acting of our own power, but we are going to act in the power of your Spirit to accomplish your mission. Lord, I pray that the time that we have left, whether our own personal time left on this earth, or the time that the earth itself has left, God, I pray that we as a people would be on mission. So that when you come back, as we eagerly expect and wait for that, as you come back, well, we will not be caught off guard, but we will be ready. We will be on task, eagerly expecting your return. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm. All right, you guys are dismissed.